0: uh
1: is this lighting the way you want it like do we need to get lighter in here
0: the lighting doesn't matter because it's only going to be audio
2: oh yeah this is just for him to read us to see if we're dying inside or not yeah
0: (laughs) yeah and speaking of dying if you ever feel like you're stuck just call time out we'll talk about what happened we can restart it right yeah all right Hey, everyone. This is the Ampere Amplified podcast. My name is Mahesh, and I'm a performance engineer here at Ampere Computing. And for this episode, I have the pleasure of being joined by Ashley Reed and Sean Varley. Ashley is an intern at Oregon State University. Welcome, Ashley.
3: Hi. Hey,
0: and Sean Varley is our Senior Director of Product Marketing here in Santa Clara. Thanks for joining us, Sean.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So it's going to be another one of these episodes where we put a junior engineer with a senior engineer and have them discuss the topic of their choice, which is usually the one that they're working on together as part of the summer internship. So I'm going to hand it off now to Ashley to let her take over.
2: So hi, (laughs) I am a senior in electrical computer engineering. I go to Oregon State, like a lot of the students here. And so I... Heard about Ampere and talked to Nicole, if you know who Nicole oh, yeah, is. Yeah. yeah, okay, okay, just making sure. At uh, a uh, uh, networking night for uh, with OSU. Mm-hmm. And then through that, I did the interviews. And even though I'm from, from Portland, she was like, I think you'll like this position down in Santa Clara. So, and I was like, honestly, uh, Oregon has been so rainy for the past nine months straight that I was like, it's fine. I can move. That's fine. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> so that's how I got roped into Santa Clara in general. I'm working under Gao this summer tomorrow's actually my last day cool uh, i know it's well, super congratulations distinct. for being here and we made it i didn't i didn't get blacklisted from you know the tech industry so it's a big win <laughs> <laughs> i i really enjoyed it. i've learned a lot but that's basically what i'm doing i, I i've done a couple of internships and i mean at this point i'm realizing that i don't need answers at 23 so i'm just now instead of internships i'm like looking for my first job after college and just trying to see what fits mm-hmm. and you graduate, fits. Uh, in, in I graduate in December I oh, graduate in December it's coming up oh wow I think a lot of the interns are actually graduating in December which is crazy
1: why why is that because you did like five, four and a half years or yeah. how does it work
2: um I'm trying to think of what classes I just needed more credits I've already done my senior design class and everything mm-hmm. I just I actually transferred from Seattle U to OSU um, mm-hmm. as soon as I, I went there for my first year that was a whole like figuring out myself kind of your I call it my most expensive lesson to date and there I figured out I wanted to do engineering Mm -hmm. and I realized why would I pay private liberal arts college tuition when I could do it at better program in state Mm -hmm. cheaper and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so Mm -hmm. then I transferred there and now I'm here and I've been liking it so far yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, that's cool yeah that's just like a little sneak peek
0: I see you're like anxious to get into it.
2: <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I just want to give you a preface. Like I wrote down these questions and like I did stock your LinkedIn and everything. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to come up. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, again, I'm happy you're here. And I was just going to ask you, because I know your title is Senior Director of Product Solutions. Or it's something?
1: actually product marketing.
2: Product marketing.
1: Yeah. It Senior Director have? of Product Marketing. No, it just changed in the last three, four weeks. Okay. <laughs>
2: Is there anything that shifted in your job description? or Yes, okay.
1: yes. So previous to this, I was the senior director of solutions. Mm-hmm. And then what Jeff asked me to do was sort of take on all of product marketing, including solutions. Okay. And so Jeff's the C- chief product officer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so the, yeah, the role has shifted. Mm-hmm. And it's now really everything having to do with marketing our products and telling our story basically, to our audience and our audiences, our customer base, our partners that we go to market with, also partners that we are recruiting to do platforms for us, the actual you know, boxes, mm-hmm. the, the servers themselves, yeah, right? Yeah. And all of those sorts of things. So we, we market to all these various audiences. And you know, really, our mission is to tell them what we do and why we're different And, you know, kind of what they can expect to get from our products in a way if if they're interested in buying. Right. right. And so my role evolved to tell that story, but not just from a technical point of view. Solutions, a very technical point of view where you're really saying, well, we build silicon, but the way somebody would buy our our product is to understand what it does and what it does better than our competition. Right. And so we tell that story from the workload and the solutions level, because ultimately what people run on our processors is software and services. And ultimately how that's delivered to the customer is through a collective set of services that are really, as we talk about cloud native, Driven from a cloud infrastructure. Right. right. So, examples are all over the map, right? From TikTok to Twitter to eBay to Uber to Google search to wow. e commerce, you know, everything is digital now. Yeah. Right. It is insurance,
2: everything, everything. <laughs> banking. I, I can basically run my life from my phone at this point. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay are you are
1: you a person that only carries their phone and a, maybe a credit card?
2: I'm not there yet i no I, I'm not there yeah yet. you I'm, still
1: got a wallet or, or you know I,
2: but I've narrowed it down to a fanny pack. it's my yeah. you know all my girlfriends they have their purses and everything, and yeah. I'm just like all i do i can if i if girls if women's clothing had pockets, then I would be <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. exactly that's kind of that's kind of where right. <laughs> so yeah. How did it? So you said that solutions was a more technical role, and this is more about telling the story to mm. it. Is there like how has your day to day work changed? I guess in that way.
1: Yeah, it's it's actually gotten a little bit more cohesive. If I take a look at it from telling it just a technical story,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and that's where solutions really is, right? In yeah. in solutions, you are you're running benchmarks, you're you know, saying, oh yeah, we are 50% better, or, you know, we have better latencies, or some of these very technical terms in the way that we describe the goodness of our product. But that's only part of the story. When you get into product marketing, and the way that we tell our story to the masses, you also want to appeal to them at a more emotional level. This gets into really core product marketing, right? If you were a fan of Mad or yeah, Ad, was it Mad Men? That Mad was Men, yeah. Mad Men. John, whatever. Oh. John ham Yeah. Yeah, Ham, thank you. <laughs> I, I I always you know stumble on the actors' names. But you know, the um the the interesting thing about that is that they're about telling um the story of a product from an emotional perspective because you know true marketers know that in order to get somebody interested in your product or your service or whatever you need to kind of like move them. You need to, you know, get them like feeling. Right. They have to feel you, not just understand you, right? And and so it's, and when you get into product marketing, and this is a little bit like into you know classic marketing where the idea is to actually tell a full story. So I can give you some examples of how that really translates to our story. From our sto- story, we kind of come at it from a cloud native processing perspective, which is really still technical, right? But how does that make a difference to the consumer of our product, right? Right. Or the consumer of the services and software that run on our product. Okay. And so we appeal to them, for example, around sustainability. One of the key things that we do is we run all of those workloads at much lower power than the competition. Mm -hmm. And this is really, at this point in our evolution as a species, really important, right? Because we have to start looking at ways to build sustainable infrastructure and compute and the data centers that run all of these servers are a major consumer of power and Fact, I think that the statistics are now that they are. It is you know all of the, all of the power consumed in data centers around the world is actually equal to or greater now than the airline industry, and forecasted really? to be much more than that. Yeah. So you're you're surprised, yeah, right? Yeah. Because I, I like, going <laughs> to.
2: Yeah, I'm surprised. because my, my follow up question was going to be, how can you tug at heartstrings with the CPU? Yeah. So, okay.
1: So here's where we're getting to it, right? Okay. This is you're doing something good for the planet by mm-hmm. buying cloud-native processor. And of course, you want, we want you to buy that cloud-native processor from Ampere. Right. But that's just one example. Another example might be to appeal to maybe a young person's frustration around waiting for a TikTok video to load or something like that, mm-hmm. right? If you're using a cloud-native processor, you're much more likely to get a good experience from a streamed video out of our architecture than out of an x86 architecture right and if you look at it in the technical part the solutions part why is that? It's because our our processors are so much more predictable right they are they run you know in such a way to allow for processes to run to completion without interruption and that comes into the core architecture of a product so i've gone from frustration that my video is not loading or Mm -hmm. it's loading in a jittery way Mm -hmm. or at a lower resolution to the actual process of streaming that video out of a core inside of our processor that is running at a consistent frequency and only in that core. Whereas if you're running that in an x86 processor, there's two threads per core. Mm -hmm. And those threads contend with each other. And so they're constantly interrupting Mm -hmm. each other. And that's one of the reasons why you get erratic performance out of X86. I right? did not know about So I'm drawing it from like a really, really low level technical argument all the way up to I'm really frustrated that my video <laughs> is <laughs> so jittery. Okay. Right?
2: That's okay. That's more fair. Is that one of like your, is that an experience that like a lot of? A lot of customers have and they're like i'm so frustrated like with the unpredictability of like another product and they just notice it consistently when using amperes
1: well this gets back into the audience question okay right so from an audience perspective am i really trying to tell my story to the frustrated millennial whose videos are not loading very very well, because that could also be a lot of other reasons, right? It could right. be, could be a number of reasons exactly. before it ever got to the reason I told <laughs> you, right? Yeah, mm, probably not. You know, I I could tell that story, mm-hmm. um, and I could tell it more, uh, in or in certain contexts. But what I'm really trying to to reach is the infrastructure managers mm-hmm. at big digital services companies, right? You know, like the tier one um, hyperscaler uh, industry. You know, Google. Well, Amazon, we wish they were a customer, but they (laughs) they, they built their own. (laughs) They
2: take care of it themselves. (laughs) Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) But all of those kinds of companies to, you know, the Ebays or the Ubers or whatever, right? Because the same frustration happens for Uber. Like if if you're trying to get, you know, a a ride hailed, you know, the more connections that get dropped there and things like that, the more frustrating that, that experience can be. So really, I'm trying to market to those managers. Mm-hmm. And so my argument might change slightly to, okay, not that, that one individual video was so jittery, but percentage-wise of all the videos that I deliver, if I'm YouTube, mm-hmm. how many of them are jittery or how many of them have to revert to a lower resolution okay. or something like that. And that gets really statistical. Okay. Right. Oh, if I can cut the jitteriness of my video delivery down, you know, by 20 or 30%, I can measure that in dollars to my business. Right? Okay. Because it'll translate to less frustrated consumers and you know more revenue for them.
2: So did I so I stocked your LinkedIn, like I mentioned before, and I noticed that. I mean the first i guess 10 years of your career was actually more firmware and like you went to college for electrical engineering and everything Mm -hmm. like that and then you switched eventually into product line manager and strategic marketing Mm -hmm. so to build up all the skills that you have now when you how did you know when it was time to switch over in your career how did you know that's something that you wanted to do because Mm -hmm. i mean everyone that i go to college with especially in my degree all we're discussing is if you're doing gonna do VLSI versus verification and stuff like that. We never yeah. think of we never think of anything outside of
1: yeah.
3: the
2: most technical
1: roles. That's a really good question. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's gonna get really into you know my evolution um, you know, professionally. I started out as an engineer. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I started out in the disk drive industry doing servo motors basically and, okay. and feedback loops, feedback systems. Basically mm-hmm. a servo motor. In the disk drive industry is, is fine-grained head, uh, read-write head positioning on disks, right? Okay. So disks in those days were all spinning disks, right? And so that was, uh, uh, you know, in order to position a read-write head on a track
3: mm-hmm.
1: in a disk, then you had to have servo, right? That's the fine motor okay. control of, that, of the head, so it keeps it on track as that disk spins. And I did that, right? And I did that, and then I moved. And then I decided that I wanted to get into, as an engineer, I kind of wanted to get into networking because I thought that networking, this was as, you know, I I graduated in 89, and I think my first job was like 1990, and that was disk drives. And then by, you know, the mid 90s, I I wanted to get into networking because that's when the internet started to boom, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this internet thing is the next deal. Right. Right. So then I got into a career in networking, basically. Okay. And I stayed an engineer for quite a while doing networking and embedded systems. And I got to know processors that way. I got to know protocols and protocol stacks and things like that. And that was sort of like the very beginning part of my career. And then my company at the time, Dana Communications, got acquired by Intel. Got it. We got acquired to, you know, essentially build up a whole new product line for in those days, it was dial-up routers, right? Like, this is the back in the days of modems. And, you know, in order to get to an internet connection, you had to dial up through mm-hmm. a modem. And so we, we came up with technology to share modems amongst a lot of users in an office. Right? Okay, So it was kind of the first dial-up routers, and um, Intel acquired us for that. And so I got into Intel, and Intel is an amazing company. I spent 25 years there.
2: That is longer it's than,
1: a long than time. me.
2: Uh, just say, not say like, <laughs> the <years> age,
1: like, <laughs> sorry. Just putting that in perspective. Okay. <laughs> I did spend uh, out uh Yeah, I spent a long time there.
2: <laughs> so wait, you still started at Intel as an engineer, like I when did. you were acquired by? Intel. I was an architect. Yeah, okay.
1: I was an architect, so I kind of came up through engineering and and became an architect. And part of becoming an architect was really looking forward and driving designs, mm-hmm. right? And so. I started to look at roadmaps and how to design products that people wanted right because right. I had I had enough experiences already in my career as an engineer of designing something that failed
3: right
1: mm-hmm. from a from a market perspective
3: right,
1: right. I kind of wanted to get into the, the to the gig of, of defining mm-hmm. things that people wanted right so that got that got me into strategic planning And, and really from there, I got more and more towards marketing because in, in those days, it was sort of a, I always like to to tell people I was, I was wearing two hats, right? I was, I had a technical hat because I really fundamentally understood what technology could do,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: right? And where it was going. And so though that armed with that knowledge, I was able to map that to markets, and experiences and solutions that people wanted, Right. Right. And so that's kind of how I evolved my, my career more towards marketing and then eventually into like really more general management positions, which is why are we doing something? And you know, how much is it going to cost us to do it and all of those kinds of things. So it was sort of a natural evolution, but I would say from a, um, a young engineer standpoint that always having that foundation in technology was just immensely helpful.
2: Right. Because that's, because I feel like I, this is something that I think a lot from my perspective, because like, I love like the road mapping and, and interacting with people in general. I, mm-hmm. I, that's something that I really love in the collaboration behind that. My favorite classes are always the ones where you're working in teams. I, I, it's just hard because you know I want to have that like foundation and knowledge behind it and it's just interesting how a lot of roles that have been coming up for me personally I easily get technical sales roles I get like those opportunities coming by a lot Mm -hmm. and it's like I'm realizing that because eventually I want to try to be an architect that is like one of my goals someday but it's like I I, I learned, especially over the summer during my internship, it's like you have to have the foundation. You have to have it if you mm-hmm. want to be able to really define it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It feels like the, the background that you have informs what you can do now. And you wouldn't be good at what you do now unless you had that, that experience. If you started in architecture or design or DV or silicon or the networking or the disk drives, there's some ability Uh, something that you gain when you finish creating a product.
1: Absolutely. Spot on, Mahesh, because the, um, I think that the, the, even like the getting down to the mathematics of, of, you know, because engineering is a very math heavy field. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, all of that really helps to establish understanding and experiential knowledge, what we now call wisdom. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you know, if you don't go through some of that, the design process, right? Like even even today, I'll give you a really fundamental example. Like as marketers, we have to understand the product life cycle. Where are we in the product life cycle? Are we in a stage where, you know, something is prototyping and we're really just figuring out if it'll work or not? Or are we at the stage of maturation, right? Where we are able to really scale this technology Okay, And in semiconductors, it's got a whole really like fine-grained science to it, right?
3: Really? Okay, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, like, if you want to get into semiconductors, you know, there are disciplines within that that actually get yeah. at, you know, life cycle analysis and materials science and all of these different kinds of pieces that really sort of add up to manufacturing and production of silicon. Mm-hmm. And it's getting more and more complex, right? every generation you know the moore's law and the ends of end of moore's law is now morphing into a very different fabric you know of how silicon products are designed mm-hmm. and what markets you design them for um, used to be that everything was solvable with a cpu basically a general purpose felt, CPU, yeah right
3: yeah
1: now it's not so much that way right i mean if you want to go into ai yeah, you can run it on a CPU, but not really because it takes way too long, right? right? So that's why GPUs started to evolve and, and very purpose-built architectures for acceleration. Right. You know, and so now we're starting to see what they call heterogeneous computing. And that is like all of these different you know, kinds of specialized accelerators. And you know it's the right tool for the job. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way that, that silicon is evolving right now.
2: Is that where uh, what a lot of your customers are looking for at this point? They're just like trying to get into like that high intense computing lifecycle, and they're just trying to hit all those notes.
1: Super interesting that question because we are a general purpose com- compute platform. Right. But we are a general purpose compute platform focused on the cloud market. Right. And the cloud market is cloud native, and what. Those workloads need is very different from older applications that were built for maybe one core or two cores max in a processor. Those sorts of applications are very monolithic in nature, right? Mm-hmm. They uh, they have one thing, they do it well, and that's all that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what we're building for cloud native is what they call microservices. Microservices mm-hmm. are often tens to hundreds to maybe even thousands of processes interacting with one another to return a result, right? Okay. The classic paper that came out on this from from Google, I think probably maybe it was 10 to 12 years ago at this point, was when you put one keystroke into the Google search line, it kicked off 10,000 processes. Right. And that was like, oh my God, that's crazy. Yeah. Like what? even more layered than that it does kick off a lot of processes but all of those processes work together to start returning results you know in an artificial intelligence sort of manner right did she mean golf when she pressed g
2: or did she mean goal
1: exactly yeah. and so all of those things are starting to kick off in parallel and they all interact to start returning results
3: okay
1: so that's that's kind of a classic cloud native problem mm-hmm. and Our processes are built for that problem because we want to be able to service tens of thousands of processes interacting together to return results. And and that requires a different architecture. It requires a lot of cores. It requires the cores to be very predictable. So that's why you get these single threaded cores. They run every process to completion and they return their result to their neighbor or to the master of ser- services, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever, however the architecture is built. And that is how cloud native computing is. So kind of come full circle, we are a general purpose processing company, but we are also specialized within general purpose because we're cloud native. And it's, right. a lot of applications are not built that way.
2: I didn't even think about that with like the ten, like the 10,000 keystrokes. I- and that is, was all the way back 10 years ago when Google came out with that. Because like, I have professors mentioned that, and I just mm-hmm. never really thought about it. So you've been working with the internet and doing networking for since the 90s. Absolutely. What is, what is the biggest shift in this like, industry, I guess, that in your whole time working that you didn't expect or something that <laughs> you did expect, and you get, guessed it, and you're really proud of it, <laughs> and you like, did brag about that over a drink?
1: Oh, there's there's quite a few of these. Um, being a strategic planner at Intel, I was you know sort of prided myself at predicting the future.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so there's a couple of uh, I can I can kind of relate to you because I was in networking and um, I think it was early two thousands probably when the first multi core processors came out. Okay. Previous to that, we were really on the first part of Moore's Law curve, where you had one core, and we just kept increasing the frequency that that core could run at. And every time you doubled it, and so you got double the performance every time, every generation, right? right? And then we started to reach the limit of frequency scaling. And so then they said, well, we we know Moore's Law is not dead. We can start to make make more cores, (laughs) right? So then the first multi core processors came out, but this was a revolution to software. Software was like, what? How do I? I was used to running and scheduling on one core. I mean, uh, I don't even know what a scheduler is really. Right. Right. Okay. I'm going to put somebody in the background and they'll wait in memory until they can get slotted in. That was a scheduler. Not like, okay, I'll schedule you on that processor and you on that processor and you on that. That was totally different. And then so then a lot of people said, well, the way we'll deal with this is virtualization. Yeah, Virtualization was like the first sort of aha, because now you could say, oh, well, we'll give that OS control of that core and we'll give that OS control of the ne- next core. And that was required virtualization, which was the first revolution in multi-core technology,
3: mm-hmm.
1: because virtualization became the basic technology that ran multi-core processors if you were going to run a bunch of different os's virtual machines on a, a single processor then you needed that hypervisor right mm-hmm. and i saw this coming and i also saw that that virtualization was going to revolutionize the way we used networking so networking also got carved up at the same time okay because if once you put a one os inside of a virtual machine then that became an endpoint to a network Mm -hmm. if i had a bunch of those in in one processor that means i had a bunch of networking endpoints in one machine previous to that there was only one so it revolutionized networking too and you had to get virtualized networking And that's when V switches became a thing and all that kind of stuff. So in the networking industry, I kind of saw that coming. That was a huge like watershed moment. (laughs) Now I'm going to bring it now to the present and I'll say that virtualization now is aged, but the way that it's aged, this kind of aged gracefully is that rather than give one core to an entire OS, Mm -hmm. Let's just give it to a process, right? And a process can be much lighter weight. Yes. And then what we said was, well, let's strip away as much as we can from that VM's OS to just a process. And we got the container. And a container became what was the, you know, kind of element of execution. Okay. And containers were also much more short-lived. They could come up and come down in milliseconds or something like that, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas VMs, you start them up and if you ever want to change it, you've got to reboot the machine.
2: Really? (laughs) That's so weird to think about now because like learning in my OS class, it's like we learn about the containers and you like take care of it and then it goes away. Mm
3: -hmm. yep.
2: It is crazy for me. I'm sorry to hear about the before times. I'm so
3: sorry. That's great.
2: (laughs) Okay, so I guess I'm going to touch back onto your role in customer mm-hmm. uh, customer marketing, product marketing, product, product marketing. marketing. Mm-hmm. So did you well in general this is just a question uh, I have did they just add more on to your plate or is somebody taking over the stuff that you left behind as you switched to less So for it on.
1: Interesting, <laughs> <laughs> interesting.
0: How our industry works. Like yeah, there's one story we had at Intel where we had these different products that we We built like every two years is a new one. And there's this guy who is saying after about 15 years, he's like, you know, there hasn't been a a project that I stopped working on. Mm. (laughs) He's still supporting things from 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, customers kept coming back and asking about it. And he's like, yeah, it just keeps adding on. Yeah, it's a real thing.
2: I've heard that same story from my dad, too. That is actually scary. (laughs) My, my, My dad was an EE before as well.
1: Well that's cool. So I you know. kind of follow in your dad's footsteps.
2: Yes, it? but I but he is awesome because he did not force me or try to force me into the ECE at all. He mm-hmm. was like, You can do your own thing. He let me go to Seattle, U, that small liberal arts mm-hmm. school and figure out my life. And but as soon as I because I always say that I tripped into engineering. And everything, I mm-hmm. I really didn't know what to do. I was undecided for the longest time, and then I took a MATLAB class, which isn't really like ECE, but the um, instructor was, and he just took me under his wing and just became a, my first mentor, I'd like to say. And then he set me mm-hmm. up with like a girl who was an ECE, and I realized, well this is the only thing I've been learning in school that Mm -hmm. (laughs) seems like something I can do for a longer term than maybe a quarter. So we're going to try it. And now I'm here. But my dad, (laughs) as soon as he found out that I wanted to do EC and then I was transferring and doing the whole switch, he was like, Oh my goodness, Ashley, if I had just known that you had, we jokingly call it the knack of just being like all engineering and Mm -hmm. putting things together, Mm -hmm. taking things apart and figuring them out. He's like, I would have, you your own soldering machine when you were 10 or 11 we would have been figuring this out. <laughs> and i'm like okay okay <laughs> but it's great the,
1: might have turned me off instead
3: but. i know yeah. exactly
2: i'm like i honestly think that made it might have made me sick but now i'm helping in teaching him how to Uh, Program in Python, so it's it's a good back and forth. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's been fun. Well, now you know how I'm an ECE major. (laughs) Mm I love it. It's been a party and a half. That's what I always say. So since you're in such a upfront customer facing role, I guess tell me more about your interaction with your customers and how you maintain those relationships and how you keep them happy or Mm. stuff like that. Mm
1: Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting question. So like, um, we have many different kinds of customers, Mm -hmm. right? Making them happy or delighting them is definitely part of the job. But it changes on a per customer basis, Mm -hmm. right? So if we have a hyperscaler customer like Google, they're a customer of ours, we I meet with them weekly, you know, my job is to really make sure that we are, are, because they already made the decision to buy. So they're they're already buying our products. Now our our role shifts. And now we want them to have a really good experience because we're still in a stage of our lifespan where people could kind of look at this and then start to kick the tires and go, yeah, it's not what I thought. Right. Mm -hmm. Or you didn't really deliver on that value proposition that you told me about. So with them, we're in more of a phase of let's make sure everything really works and really works well. And in the ARM ecosystem, you know, sometimes that's not a given because ARM is really new to the server game. And and so there is still, you know, a ecosystem debt, you know, that we're trying to fill. We're trying to get to a point where where x86 has been for decades, right? Because Mm -hmm. all of the software, you know, for the last 30 years has been built for x86, and only in the last 10 has it been really starting to be evolved mm-hmm. towards ARM. So it's more of a, of a, you know, let's make sure that they're they're getting the support they need to, to get n- new applications and new services built. And if there's gaps in the ecosystem, we'll go try to fill them. Things like that. Let's switch to HP. Very different customer. HP right. is an OEM. They buy our processors. but they buy them to sell them to a lot of other customers. Mm-hmm. Now keeping them happy right now means making sure that they can launch their product on time with high quality so that they can start to seed their customers with this brand new very sustainable, you know, power efficient platform that it looks a lot different from everything else they carry, which is exciting to them, mm-hmm. right? Because they've got all of these x86 machines that they you know, have been selling for quite some time and they are getting a little long in the tooth. And and so the HP sales team is much more interested in selling the new thing. Yeah. And, and they also see the opportunity going back to what we talked about around, you know, appealing to that emotional side of sustainability and better for the planet and Mm -hmm. power efficiency. So we're training them so that they can sell our products. And so that's part of like keeping that customer happy right now is really giving them all of the knowledge that we have to sell our product and how is it different from what they've been selling before.
2: Got it. So we're talking about how it's really pulling like at the emotional like Mm -hmm. angle in your experience. I mean, obviously, Ampere has like a great like product that we believe in and everything like that. But besides, I think. I don't know technically like great it how many like what would you in your head I, this is pure curiosity on my side how much do you think it's the emotions putting it over the finish line or starting like that conversation because i mean even with google i mean you've worked here for about three years now look that up you're welcome Thank you. <laughs> three years it does now,
0: research man. i
2: try my best yeah. i try my best i hate it.
0: these are the best interns <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, so you weren't here for three years and I don't know what Google was as a customer at that point, but I mean, like the relationship with Google and HP wasn't always like that. I mean, so to get to that point where they start, you start building that relationship. I mean, mm-hmm. in your sense, you think it's, was it completely technical or how much of it was like the emotional side as well?
1: Yeah, this is interesting because the way to look at this is, is twofold. Ampere is a small company, Mm -hmm. and so we haven't had necessarily the capability or the capacity to do certain things. And I would say that in three years ago, when I joined this company, we weren't able to kind of put together a marketing campaign. We just didn't have the people. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We now have the people. Mm -hmm. so now we're getting more to that you know like let's go sell at this emotional level and let's go let's go really build out that sustainability argument
2: story yeah Yeah, Yeah. exactly
1: because we have the people to do it but early on it was much more of a technical sale yeah right here is how much better we are and it gets down to benchmarks and you know metrics yeah exactly looking at numbers and and we did build out that team, like Naren's team that you um, have had a podcast with. You know, that whole story of benchmarking and numbers is very foundational to getting a customer and then also keeping them, you know, kind of moving along the funnel, as we call it, because mm-hmm. there's a funnel. You kind of go from opportunity. Somebody might be interested to now they kind of want to see more. And then they actually want to uh, maybe do a POC. They might want to say, well, now prove it to me. Mm-hmm. And then when they finally get through that, prove it to me, then you might actually get to a design win. And classically in the silicon industry, a design win is, okay, no, they're going to purchase systems, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to put their good hard-earned money on the table. They're going to purchase systems. Or it might also mean they're going to put me on a board, right, with, with, in HP's case. Mm-hmm. HP built a board based on our processor right that's a customer that's a design way
2: okay so we're gonna go back into me just trying to understand how you got all like this marketing and storytelling like skills i mean because you again you were in engineering and you moved (coughs) into architecting and then you when you say natural transition into marketing and stuff like that was it because like that team or that company recognized your skills and Mm -hmm. were like we could prep you for this role or were you like, I am like, I'm going to actively switch into this and I'm going to prep on the side to make sure that I'm ready and a good fit for them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the, this is part, part of this was I, it was a very gradual transition for me Okay, because I went in from, so I kind of went up the ranks in engineering into architecture, yeah. which was much more of a, you know, I was less day to day actual like hands on, design and get it done kinds of things to more conceptual work right right? and if we put these things together and we've done all of our homework analysis wise then we think that we can build this right and that was an architectural role from there i went into strategic planning which was kind of the same thing only it was more now i need to think about markets And who am I going to actually sell this product to? Or how could I use this technology better to be ahead of a market?
3: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, because the markets evolve and a lot of them evolve on on a line that's pretty predictable. Mm -hmm. And so you start to read markets and then you start to map how you can get to something. Yeah, ahead of the market because you always want to be first to market. Right. Yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah. If you want to get down to <laughs> you know how to win. Okay. Right? We're first to market with cloud native processors, right?
2: which is really cool. Yeah.
1: It's really cool. Yeah. Because you know followers are always kind of doomed to get second market share. And sort of just a rule. It's not it's not uh, you know hard and fast, but by and large I mean, that's the way it's going to work. Yeah. yeah. So so you know when you're looking at strategic planning then you want to be ahead and you want to be kind of first in your market. And, and so that's how I, I evolved from engineering into more of a marketing role. Yeah. But in order to do that, I still had to know technology really right. well. And I had to talk to engineers and fellows and all those sorts of people to be able to understand the trajectory of technology as well as the trajectory of markets. And just even like that virtualization example I gave earlier, right, where I saw virtualization coming. And I said, oh, wow, this is going to cause a revolution in networking.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And networking is going to have to change radically to be able to keep up with virtualization. Mm-hmm. So what I do, I went in and I drove a bunch of technology into our networking products and Intel to be able to do that. It was a technical and a marketing role because I saw the way the market was moving. Along the way, I also became, I guess, more self-aware that I was a people person
2: <laughs> really I couldn't tell
1: <laughs> and then I get energized by people yeah you can even tell like I, I get passionate about technology too mm-hmm. but I can also really like I feel like I'm in my element when I'm talking to people that's why I kind of missed the inter- face-to-face interaction yeah during the absolutely pandemic.
2: I I'm, I can be the same way. Obviously, I'm not as experienced as you, but I just know that I like being around people and being in all of my internships at the, up to this point have been some sort of variation of either completely remote, kind of remote, or you come in and everyone else is remote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it is, mm-hmm. and as an intern, it's just something, I don't know. I have my opinions about it of like, I, I had this one internship where it was, I the interns were required to come in person and I came in, but my boss was always remote and yeah, but I still had to come in. And then my peer intern, same exact title and everything. He had a different manager, but his manager came in every day in person. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I would like to say I'm a fairly capable person mm-hmm. technically. And mm-hmm. so but seeing the amount of progress that each of us could make throughout the summer mm-hmm. and like what he could achieve and fix on the spot versus like what I had to balance her, her like my boss's schedule and everything mm-hmm. like that. It was incredible. Like the end products, like each of our summers turned out to be mm-hmm. I don't know. like, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like the best experience in, on my end, but it's just mm-hmm. like the way it is. I don't know. Nowadays with new engineers, I almost like, we all, all the new engineers, I feel like are excited to come in person, at least most of the time, if it means like that kind of mentorship, because we just want to be good at our job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Has it been different for you at Ampere?
2: Um, Ampere's been a different experience. I like my gal has been great to really make an effort to come in every day. I'm fairly sure he was remote before I was, like fully remote until I came in and now he is here four out of five days a week, even mm-hmm. with his commute. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. So I hear about you guys and your guys' commutes in the <laughs> Bay area. And I just, mind blown. Mm-hmm. I think my, like, I, I don't know. I don't know how you guys do it. I did it for one summer for a different internship and I was like, that's good. I'm great. I'm great. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it's, it's good. Your manager is kind of in the office. You're in the office. Do you feel productive?
2: i i do, do oh i mean like the effort is there like and it's so nice i don't know <laughs> i i really enjoyed it at least
0: um, i'm glad to hear that yeah yeah
2: yeah it, it's yeah. honestly just nice to meet people in the office even if they are my direct manager it's just mm-hmm. nice to talk to people mm-hmm. um
1: i think I, that's a big piece of being an intern too right yeah. to be able to get different perspectives and you know, hopefully that you know it's been very challenging during the pandemic, but one of the things that we encouraged with the intern that we had on the solutions team was that that uh, that he got the chance to meet and and work with a bunch of different people mm-hmm. during the course of that that internship and it didn't it didn't turn out as well i think as as I would have liked it to because of the, of the pandemic right it just right. People were working remote, and and um, it's just I think it would have been a lot easier to foster if it was a face to face environment.
2: Right? Because here I can just find people and I just haunt them for a day because I'm like, I want to know more about what you do,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and so I do
2: that here. But mm-hmm. I have been trying so hard to do that to the firmware team up in Portland. Yeah. Um, and, it, and then when it's remote, oh my goodness, I I will like I'll like throw something on the calendar. They'll accept. We agree on it, and then they're like, oh, something came up. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's fine. No, it's fine. It's cool. It's totally cool. It's like my like last day, of, last day of work here, but no, I get it. I really do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you what, back to reading markets. If you want to be a firmware engineer, they are a hot commodity
2: right now. I'm trying. That's yep. what I'm trying. Very to, hard. So what I'm trying to do next is my, the next thing I want to learn, which will probably be a full-time role is, um, Embedded systems if I can. I'm trying. Which is why I'm trying to bother them so much. Over oh, there. Yeah. after
1: my own heart. That's what I started. Yeah. Exactly. Embedded systems.
2: I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying my best. <laughs> but if they're busy, they're busy. <laughs> no, it's
1: a fun, it's a fun market. I'm telling you. That like embedded systems are really cool because they they like when I was doing embedded systems for disk drives, I was doing everything from from servo, which was control systems design, to mechanical, which was the actual motors, which ran on magnets, mm-hmm. you know. And then, you know, DSP, mm-hmm. because we were doing analog to digital conversion in, in a lot of the different feedback systems that we were doing. Okay. And then I was doing embedded firmware. I was oh, cool. writing code. Yeah. you know, And so it was just all across the board. It was like cool stuff. Like, it's, it's almost like if you got into robotics, you know you could, in this day, day and age, you could get into everything from AI to, you know, motor systems and things like that. Right. Actuators. Super cool. Stuff, that's so right? cool. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, that's like the stuff that like, I want to be involved with. Like I have a project, I picked almost all project-based classes for my last quarter. And one of them, it's just one of my friends, he hypes up the class so much. Cause he's like, it's just embedded systems. And it's like the most hands-on work you'll ever get. And yeah. he's, he's like, that's where I learned. I, that's what I wanted to do. At least for now. So I'm like, I'm ready. I'm going to try. Good for
0: you. Thank you. Right Thank you. you. Let us know if you need help.
2: <laughs> Thank you. I, mean, I, I appreciate it.
0: You want to talk about what you've done this summer? Yeah. Okay, what yeah. are you up to? Yeah,
2: well, uh,
0: I mean, I know Gal, so I kind of have an, an inkling of what you
1: might have been doing.
2: Yeah. So he set me off to kind of explore the going from 12, 12 volt 12-volt platform system, power delivery mm-hmm. system, to mm-hmm. which is what we have now, to mm-hmm. 48 volt power delivery system because yeah. lots of big companies google is running on 48 volts ibm mm-hmm. is cisco is mm-hmm. at this point and from what i heard you know better than i do but from Gao who's telling me that like customers or other like vendors i don't know are asking like why isn't yours running on a 48 volts power delivery system
3: mm-hmm. and
2: so he wanted me to look up why it exists and then viable options for it so Mm -hmm. i he wanted me to redo like the whole power delivery system just to get more accurate reading on the tdp before i can go do it and then do the power delivery system tree again that whole different system and options and then explore them and um, go and look into other companies and Mm -hmm. see if there's any viable solutions and the biggest one was picking between two-step system or one-step system so google back in 2017 at the ocp open computing project introduced their solution which was a step down from 48 down to 12 down to v core or on their targeted voltage and it was the first time that they went to ocp and then first time introducing that and from there they kind of championed this idea but as time went on they realized we can actually make this because it worked and it was making it efficient in like handling the power density that the data centers are asking for nowadays but can we make this any better or can this just not be so clunky on our motherboard and so nowadays there's two solutions kind of in mind which is instead of going 48 to 12 to core it would be 48 to between the five to eight nine range it would be going down to there and then doing like the multi-phase a multi-phase controller to you know mitigate everything else between and then make it more efficient that way mm-hmm. so that's what i've just been trying to wrap my head around this summer like he wanted me so i have been basically been teaching myself and reading just a lot of research papers by these guys yeah. who have a lot of uh, to offer mm-hmm. and so it was just me learning all about llcs and tscs and mm-hmm. those, switch, those mm-hmm. like fancy switches and everything mm-hmm. so Basically, I've gone to a point where I'm going to present tomorrow to them, just like the different solutions and like mm-hmm. the vendors that I found and everything like mm-hmm. that. And, yeah. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, It's a it's a next project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, that's really cool. Actually, it's really important. I mean, I mm-hmm. think the the power efficiency infrastructure for. Or a lot of the hyperscalers, which were on the front end of this, right? Anytime okay. you get volumes like the hyperscalers have, then you're gonna see these kinds of optimizations come into place. Right. Right. Like getting out of AC delivery and into 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 just DC delivery was mm-hmm. was one step,
3: mm-hmm. really.
1: Um, okay. And then and then you know, getting from these different DC power delivery infrastructures that are, you know, ultimately much more power efficient than the old way to do it is is yet another sort of optimization because if you think about it it goes really well with our sustainability story
2: mm-hmm. that's right? and that's what it, like bottom line at Gao always told me he's like has to be like efficient and it has to that has to go into prayer not priority but one of the most important pieces to sell who i'm going to present to tomorrow on it and everything yeah yeah,
1: yeah. because you know actually we're looking at, at um doing a lot more sustainability from just a, almost like it's going to be the air that we breathe, right? Mm -hmm. Like driving sustainability into our suppliers, into our designs and all of the, all of the things that surround us ecosystem wise, we want to engender. We want to bring along with us Mm -hmm. because the more that we can lean into this, it's just going to get more and more valuable for
2: the company Mm -hmm. down the road. I I mean, it's exciting from my perspective as a young engineer to see that, like, they, I don't know, companies are taking it seriously. And, like, it is a huge Mm -hmm. thing that needs to shift. Uh, Sometimes I I get worried, just sometimes.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah, of course.
0: (laughs) It feels good to be a leader, right? Like, you're doing something that will have real impact environmentally. Yep. Right. Yep switching efficiency and reducing power consumption.
1: Yeah, I did a Twitch channel thing with Equinix like three months into my tenure at, at Ampere. And what, they asked a fun question at the end of the <laughs> of the interview. They said, well, well you know, what makes you, you know, kind of get up every day and want to work for this company, right? Kind of question. I didn't even hesitate. It's like, oh, I'm working for a company that is green, like at, mm-hmm. at its core. No pun, in, well, pun intended, right? We are green. Right? Yeah. In fact, I think that might be a tagline right there, Ashley. Right there. <laughs> yeah, if you ever see this come out of the tagline for Ampere, you'll know where it starts.
2: Okay, thank yeah, you. We I'll, are
1: green at our core. Got started starting <laughs> here.
2: I'll brag to people about that. I was there. <laughs> I was there. was yeah. <laughs> for a little bit. So is that why you made the big jump to Ampere?
1: No. I, I I was searching for something different, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm at a point in my career where I was like, um, well, what do I really want to be, be doing every day. Mm-hmm. Do I want to be like doing the stuff that matters to me, which is, you know, the block and tackling of the work, right? Like, am I coming up with a new story? Am I promoting the, the product in the best way that I can to reach the customer's And, you know, convince them of our value proposition or or am I coming up with the benchmarks that are going to back that up or am I in a political infight? And I'm really trying to justify to my management why I should exist or why things that I'm talking about should matter. Mm -hmm. And what I found at the end of my tenure at Intel, this is very sad for me because I really, I really respect Intel. Mm -hmm. They gave me and my family a lot. Mm-hmm. Over the 25 years I worked there. But at the end of my tenure, I was spending 90% of my time doing non value added work, in my estimation, which mm-hmm. was I was trying to convince people and going back, trying to rewarm and change things so that it would be more palatable to the executive management and all of these just machinations to try to do something
3: right.
1: of value. Right. And at the end of the day, if you ever find yourself in a position where you don't think like you're doing valuable work day in and day out, then change. I don't care what company you're working for, change. Because it is absolutely deflating to the human spirit to do something that you don't feel valued for. Right. Yep. That's, absolutely. Yeah. I totally
0: agree with you. I had similar experiences.
1: Yep. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So did you feel valued while you were here? Yes. Good. I'm
2: glad to hear that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's just cool. I don't know. It's just been cool. It's been, it's been cool to be at a company that feels alive. I kind of spread out my internships where it's like, I did a big established company, a small established company. And then one that is, I know it's not a, really a startup, but I mean it's still young. I mean, it's still younger. Yeah, we're Not a very different a kind robot. we're
1: a very different kind of startup.
2: Exactly. Sure, yeah. Exactly. Which is cool. I don't know. No, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good to acknowledge that. At least, yeah, you right? can put right. that on a
2: poster. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we try to make a learning environment for all the interns. And and I know Nicole does a good job and I try to do some stuff too. So we're we're glad that you had a good time. Yeah. And we I- hope that you will return. <laughs>
2: I hope I can. That's the next. That's, the next that's, step, that's an huh? excellent. But I get to know that at 4 p.m. today. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that's when my exit interview is with her, which is I've never done one before. I guess if I'm going to pick up the mic, the question that I do has. Well, I, as I mentioned before, I only have three months left of college, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Do you, as a, about to be a new engineer or about to be a recent college grad, do you have any advice to give me in my last like couple months of college or as I start out in a new i don't know in the industry just trying to break in
1: hmm. wow it's been a long time since i was a new college grad <laughs> <laughs> no i have worked with a lot of them and yeah. and um, but it sounds to me like you've already done a lot those sorts of things. You've been able to sample through internships, yeah. a couple of different kinds of companies. Yeah, it I did like a, You did it really thoughtfully.
2: Yeah, <laughs> can you tell? <laughs> <Yeah>. Very strategic.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's always a good sign. I would say my only advice to you is interview for people as much as position, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, it will be the people that make the most difference in your life. It's like finding that MATLAB mentor mentor that you were talked about that kind of changed your trajectory right Mm -hmm. it's going to be people that really help you in the long run i mean you can do a lot of research on your and lord knows there's a ton of research out there on the internet right you can even don't even have to go to a library anymore it's that your it's amazing what's at your fingertips but you have the talent right you have the talent to be here know your value and make sure that you are acknowledged and respected for it and then find the people that you want to work with. And I think that that would be my advice to you. And there, in the engineering field. Some people like, no, oh, I really just want to be a programmer. I really just want to go into, you know, circuit design or something. But my experience is that you could be happy with a lot of different things if you're just interested in being technical. Mm-hmm. And from the things that you've also told me about your interest in people then you know definitely this is another thing to be be paying attention to right like find the people that are going to really like
3: oh absolutely
1: challenge you but also support you right and i think that that's probably one of the biggest things that an an engineer or any person early in their career you know might just say oh i'm just going to land the the sure bet right Man, I, I, one thing that has never stalled in I've been in this industry for 30 years is the demand for engineering. It's just never stalled. I don't see it ever stalling. I don't know if you see that same way, Mahesh, but yeah, there's always going to be jobs. Yeah. And so if you get into the wrong one, get out and find something else.
2: See, but you say that, but it's like you said, like that happens when you're an engineer like a true engineer but if you're a junior engineer like me especially right now because everyone's like getting scared about hiring people for some reason Mm. um it's a little you see like the like the experience levels like online for job openings and it's like three years plus like all of them and Mm. like all like the junior the new grad level ones they're all getting taken down and it's Mm. it's a little bit daunting right now really because like you hear the word recession and then everyone
1: that's true that yeah. could be a blind spot for me i don't i don't i don't i don't watch for the new college grad thing yeah. as much as as um, i used to but
2: which is f- fair yeah
1: yeah uh, we're, we're starting to look for for interns and things like that again right uh, we, we hired one this year but uh but i can see that how that could be challenging
2: it's a yeah. lot yeah it's a lot i don't yeah. know it's like just something that's been overwhelming i it's something that i had to recognize too though in general it's like just finding the perfect job isn't like they're a perfect right. But I needed to know that mm-hmm. I really could you like, you've heard my like analytical brain and I went mm-hmm. into analysis paralysis. That's what I've learned. That's a term.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um,
2: and I realized that's when I was like, I will just, I just, even if it's not an internship, like I want to try firmware and embedded systems for my first job. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like I, there is mm-hmm. not a lack of engineers and I will still be hireable, even if I want to jump back into I don't know the analog world or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. something I've
1: the learning. Or it seems like there's always seems to be the jobs for the programmers, man.
2: I know, <laughs> you can but never I think. Don't, the thing is, like, I don't. <laughs> it's
0: exhaustible. I know, but, but you know,
2: I don't want to be a data scientist. So that's the one thing I do, yeah. at least for now. At least for now. It's Maybe good
0: that you know what you want to do. So you should just like state that to you know whoever you you talk with. Me like I want to do firmware. I want to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. And you'll find there are some people that will advocate for you. Then and say, okay, uh, you're, you're, you're not the firmware expert, but I will help you become a firmware expert. Yeah. And so as Sean was saying, you latch onto them. And if <laughs> you surround yourself with people that inspire you, then that's really the best place to be. If you have an advocate and you have those other people around you that are inspiring you and you're learning, mm-hmm. that's it.
2: But how do people mm-hmm. become invested in you?
1: Which I think it's rather easy, honestly. Yeah.
2: Really? I mean, maybe <laughs> yeah. it's just...
1: I'm invested in you. I've spent like an hour, yep. you know. i okay, but- <laughs> <laughs> I'm, because I can see your sincerity, right? I can exactly. see you really, really want to learn, and you really want to be, you know, in something that that motivates you, right? And you know, frankly, you know, people, I think the biggest mistake made in in interviewing and in hiring is over compensating for technical knowledge and did they answer the question correctly or mm. you know things like that you know i am much more enamored with people who may not know the answer and be willing to admit it but say you know i'm going to take a stab at this you know because this is what sort of came up for me when you said that. Right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's much more
1: honest days, yeah. and interesting to me than than oh yeah, they knew, you know, exactly the the answer to that, you know, theoretical equation I gave them or something like
3: that. Yeah, that's
0: <laughs> one sorry. thing I always look for is communications ability and I value yeah. that more than anything else. You could be the best engineer, but if you're sitting in the corner and not sharing your project and giving presentations and asking for feedback and collaborating with your peers and stuff, that all those ideas stay in your head. So I'm always trying to lead the way and put all of our interns in front of cameras and force them to communicate in ways that they may not have done before. I try to get my junior engineers up in front of senior folks to get feedback for their projects. And the more they do that, the faster they'll grow in their ability to communicate and become great engineers. So,
2: That's fair. It's become... a a skill I realized I needed to hone in on is to be able to keep up with conversations with people who are like, have more experience, more technical, and acronyms that I don't know, and still be able to follow along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, well, like, ask I,
1: questions. Ne- never be afraid to ask questions. That's true. You know, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You know, there's, they're really, uh, you know, I think that sometimes people can get intimidated, especially with jargon. And there's yeah. so much jargon in, in all <laughs> of the tech industry.
2: There is. I, I <laughs> and, like, Every, not every internship, but like I interned with Dell before Dell EMC and like it would crack me up because they have a whole like acronym list and they're like, oh, here's the link for if you don't know an acronym. And like, there's some acronyms that have five different definitions mm-hmm. and like, it's, and it's you just can scroll, you can scroll for an hour and not reach the bottom of that like guide list. I'm like, okay. <laughs>
1: <Awesome>. <laughs> somebody, somebody suggested doing that here at Ampere, has that actually been done? How you might know that.
0: I, I remember it was done at Intel, and the list got out of date quickly.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Somebody suggested doing it here, and and I said,
1: please, do do not do that. Yeah. And then I think actually Renee came out shortly thereafter and said, stop
2: using it. I heard. it. Exactly. That's awesome. Love it. Yeah. It's, it's
0: not. You. It's not inclusionary. Right. No. This
2: isn't. Not, it's not. It doesn't make things accessible. Especially
1: yeah. with Myers. Yep. Yeah. Oh man, for people that spent twenty five years at Intel though, it is so ingrained in us to oh, just I create an acronym like that. Right? Yeah. I mean Even- it's
2: just my parents both worked in tech and they just love acronyms. I'm like, guys, stop. I don't even I think some like when they text about me, I'm not even Ashley. I am ACR. I am my initial. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's funny. Or and my brother's initials are also ACR, so I am now ACR1 and he's ACR2. Oh, I'm not even kidding. Wow.
1: <laughs> you better tell them about that. That that's you know that's what
3: I'm going to tell things, them it's not inclusive. yeah, you, absolutely. Yeah.
2: We're going to make it obsolete. I'll make I'll make them take down the link. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right.
1: awesome. Uh, my kids laugh about it too. <laughs> like do my son's on? an actor, and he does an impression of me of being on the phone. You know, talking. Cause I work at home all the time. And I'm wandering yeah. around the house with my headset on. He's only hearing one side of the conversation. Uh-huh. So he, he developed this routine where he would walk around and and you know rattle off all these acronyms and you know just jargons of different things and it was so funny. Oh, and
2: that's awesome. how I looked to him. Yeah, yeah, that's how it was with my dad too. Like he'd drop me off for school every day, but he would be on a business call typically during the drive, and I would just hear him. And first of all, he sounds nothing like my dad in these calls and like work. He just sounds so professional and, and so like the goofy dad at home which i was always was shocked by yeah. but then it felt like a different language different planet every time i don't know it's great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah you, you do kind of switch gears right yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. it's healthy though yeah
1: well Eight. done on the interview. Nice preparation. I try. <laughs> you know, and uh, really thoughtful questions.
2: Yeah, yeah. thank you for running with them. Really, like <laughs> taking taking them to places I didn't expect them to go to. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Of course, you.
1: <laughs> of course, you can yeah. count on me for that kind of thing.
2: <laughs> I'm so it. I'm so glad it. I picked director of product marketing. Wow, <laughs> I'm so happy I that. <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll tell you one thing. This is really cool. I'm I'm glad that you both had a chance to just be there together in the room and get to know each other. One of the things that we do at Ampere is try to connect senior leaders with junior engineers because this is something that doesn't happen at other companies, especially larger companies. And we want to actually give you that opportunity to, to connect with someone who's been around and can give advice. So that's one of the motivations behind doing this.
2: Yeah. It's It's nice. I mean, like I already stalked your LinkedIn before I did this like podcast and I was like, I know that I wanted to introduce myself, but you know, you barely come into the office and so when you do, you're so busy and it's intimidating. So it was great to have an excuse to talk to you for over an hour. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank thank you, Mahesh, for this. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Awesome.
0: Thank you, ACR1. (laughs) (laughs) Oh
3: my gosh.
0: (laughs) Ashley Reed. Our intern from Oregon State University has spent the summer with us working on switching voltage levels and basically helping to create efficiency in our data center products. Thanks for coming onto this podcast, Ashley.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And Sean Varley, he's the senior director of product marketing. Uh, I know it's hard to trap you into a room for a couple hours. So we very much value your time. Thanks, Sean. Thank you so
1: much. It's been so enjoyable. Good luck in your next (laughs) venture. Thank you. Thank you, Mahesh.
0: Excellent. And I I just want to say I am very appreciative of both of you being here. Three years ago, the podcast series kind of started off as an experiment. And I would not have thought that we are like 30 episodes in now. And it's continuing strong and helping to share the stories of Ampere with the outside world. So thank you.